Chapter 9 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Zafloya by Charlotte Docker. Chapter 9. The sun had risen far above the horizon when Victoria awakened. She hastily arose and perceived that the peasant's garb had been exchanged for habiliments more resembling those she had till now been accustomed to wear. This she with justice attributed to the delicate attention of Berenza. Dressing herself, she summoned attendants, and was informed that Il Conte Berenza had been long awaiting breakfast for her, and desired them to conduct her to the apartment where he was. She found him sitting upon a sofa, with breakfast things before him. On her entrance he rose, and conducted her to sit beside him. His demeanor towards her was rather that of a sincere and a tender friend than of an ardent lover, for the mind of Berenza, ever aiming at perfection, felt that ere he could aver himself the latter, he must himself new model the object. During breakfast he conversed upon indifferent subjects, but more sedulously and more anxious than ever did he scrutinize her, as, though in her air and in her eyes, he would read every movement of her soul. Yet true it was that Berenza was a voluptuary, but a philosophical, delicate, and refined voluptuary. It was not the perfection of body only that he required, but the perfection also of mind." Victoria perceived that embarrassment clouded the manners of the Conte. She sought by every means to draw him from his apparent abstraction, and again taking his hand, she said, "'Berenza, why are you not cheerful? You were wont to tell me that I should constitute your happiness, if once I became yours. Now, then, that fortune has united us, you appear less happy than when you despaired of gaining me.' nay indeed dear berenza almost indifferent to her you so professed to love berenza rose during the speech of victoria a new idea had taken possession of his mind it was the tormenting the useless reflection that perhaps he was not particularly distinguished by the confidence of victoria that perhaps she had flown to him merely as a refuge from discomfort and oppression and that had another addressed her, she would equally have flown to him. This suggestion struck a pang to the heart of the refining philosopher. Suppressing his emotion, however, and taking the hand of Victoria, he only said, "'You have often, my love, known me abstracted and thoughtful, without any particular reason occurring at the moment. Heed me not, and I shall speedily be myself again.' "'Then I will withdraw to my chamber, my lord,' said Victoria, secretly piqued and disgusted that her presence should not be a talisman against every species of uneasiness. Do so, my love. Consider yourself here as mistress, and all I have at your disposal. Make such arrangements as you may think fit, without hesitation. Employ yourself a few hours apart from me. We will meet at dinner, and in the evening repair to the Laguna, where my Victoria will be the fairest. Victoria withdrew, but her air was indignant, and Berenza, observing it, sighed as he gazed after her, mentally exclaiming, 
Victoria, how imperfect thou art! Fool that I was, he continued, I never possessed either the heart or the mind of this girl. Circumstances only have impelled her towards men. Oh, could I but penetrate her thoughts, could I but discover her actual feelings, my mind would be at rest. Were I only convinced of her love, I could easily new model her character. Because the precepts and the wishes of those we love sink deep into the heart. But no matter, I will be the friend, the brother, the protector of the girl who has thrown herself into my arms. I will love her too, but never, no, never willingly take advantage of a fortuitous circumstance. I will be convinced of her affection, her absolute, her exclusive affection, and till I am thoroughly convinced, I will be her friend and not her lover. Such was the determination of the reasoning philosopher, whose delicate and fastidious mind made its own food, and took forever a pleasure in repining upon itself. At dinner they again met, and when the heat of the day was succeeded by the cooling breezes of evening, Berenzo led his fair charge to St. Mark's Place, along which multitudes of gay Venetians were flocking to get into their gondolas. The Conte assisted Victoria into his, which was splendid and gaily accoutred. Happy was the vain Victoria to find herself thus in the midst of the gay world. The Laguna was covered with an innumerable quantity of gondolas, soft music sounded from every side, and sweet female voices sometimes accompanied the strains. The scene elevated her spirits. She blessed the moment when she had escaped from the tyranny of a discontented bigot. She cast her eyes around, and she perceived that she had excited that attention and admiration that she so much loved to obtain. She even fancied that the Venetian bells viewed her with an air of envy. The idea was doubly pleasing, and her animation increased. But she did not for a moment suppose that this envy was excited on account of the companion who sat beside her. Berenza was indeed accounted the most accomplished cavalier in Venice, the very phoenix of grace and elegance. His opinions, his taste, his approbation formed the standard of fashion. For though no one knew or appreciated the dignity and delicacy of his mind, yet was he considered the most graceful and fascinating of men. His society was universally courted, even by the women, though they well knew his refined and superior judgment. His was not the heart of a sensualist, if indeed a sensualist hath a heart. He could not gaze enraptured on the accurate formation of a limb, waste his hours in contemplating incessantly a beautiful form, or resign his independence while admiring some harmonious combination of feature or complexion. Even his most irrational hours were never spent at the feet of a simpering coquette. No, it was necessary that Berenza's beauties should be polished, that they should possess the talisman of mind. Well was this general trait in his character understood, yet his society and his notice were eagerly courted by females, since to attach him would indeed have been triumph. Who then could forbear the attempt? Victoria excited, therefore, universal envy in one sex, and she likewise excited universal admiration in the other. 
The notice she attracted filled her vain, ambitious heart with exultation, and it was with infinite regret she left the gay-covered lake to return to the palazzo of her lover. Flattered by the attention she had excited, the philosophic Berenza viewed her involuntarily with a feeling of increased approbation. For true it is, man is too apt to be guided in his estimate of things by the degree of estimation they may obtain from others, and to be influenced in his opinion by the standard, often depraved, of public taste. Supper being prepared for them, the Comte began wholly to relax from the restraint he had imposed upon his manner. He seated himself with a smiling air by the delighted Victoria, who instantly availed herself of the gaiety and unreserve of his manner to ask an explanation of what had more than once obtruded itself upon her mind. Looking somewhat archly in his countenance, she said, "'Tell me, Berenza, if the question be not improper, why, with so much caution and mystery, you first acknowledged your recognition of me, and conducted me hither, yet now carelessly exhibit yourself with me in public?' "'Oh, woman, curious woman,' said the Conte, laughing. "'But I will tell thee, Victoria. "'Frederick Alvarez, a friend of mine, "'and a Spanish nobleman of high rank, "'had a mistress called Magdalena Strozzi, "'by birth a Florentine. "'Of this mistress he was passionately fond, "'and often pressed me to be introduced to her, "'but having many other engagements I always declined. "'At length one day he succeeded in securing me, "'and I was reluctantly dragged into the presence of his siren.' mark the untoward result. On the honor of a Venetian, I solemnly assure you, I paid her no extraordinary attention, nor any whatever of a nature that could be considered dishonorable towards my friend. Yet she exerted her utmost artifice. She used every blandishment to allure me. Megalina was beautiful. She was beside elegant and accomplished. I am not, as I think, either a philosopher or a stoic, but a man refining on my own sensations. I yielded, I own, to the witcheries of Megalina, and felt no compunctious visitings from a consciousness of treacherous conduct toward my friend. I had not attempted to seduce his mistress. It was she, on the contrary, who had so powerfully addressed my feelings and my senses. That was in the fullest acceptation of the term the seductress. At length, however, the jealous Alvarez discovered the infidelity of her to whom he was devoted heart and soul. He sought me out, foaming with rage and outraged love, and gave me my choice to meet him in honorable combat or be passively run through the body. Breathing death and vengeance, it was vain to reason with him. I therefore preferred the former offer, and we met. Fury rendered his hand unsteady, and when I succeeded in drawing a little blood from his arm, some of our mutual friends, who were privy to the affair, endeavored to explain to Alvarez the folly of fighting for an abandoned wanton. He heard them with a gloomy air, but appeared convinced by their arguments. I offered him my hand, but he refused it with rage, and soon after left Venice. Since that period I have occasionally visited Megalina, but never could I prevail upon myself to consider her as a mistress, from the very obvious and unerring reflection that a female who could abandon a sincere and doting lover for me 
would as readily abandon me for any other who might attract her wandering eye. Still, however, the jealous, the alternate fits of love and resentment which she thought proper to exhibit, whenever I presented myself before her, have long been a source of extreme unpleasantness to me. She has frequently sworn, with a frantic air, that though she hears with my insulting indifference towards her, that should she ever have reason to attribute my coldness to regard for another, my death alone would satiate her vengeance. Thus, though I know the irregularity of her life, and that her undisciplined passions hurry her into the most abject excesses, I do not wish, insolent and unjustifiable as such conduct would be, to induce her frenzied attacks against my life or peace. I, therefore, in my research after you, used all possible precaution. Nor did I, though you saw me not, even for once lose sight of you. My reason for placing a fillet over your eyes was merely to enjoy your astonishment when it should be removed, for I introduced you by a private way into my house. I believe, fair Victoria, pursued the Conte, smiling and taking her hand, I have now explained all that may have appeared mysterious to you. You have, my lord, answered Victoria, but you still, still visit Megalina then, she pursued, while her jealous eyes wandered. I have, as I said, replied the Conte, smiling, been accustomed to visit her. And, and you still intend, my lord Berenza? My future intentions, replied Berenza seriously, will be considerably influenced by you. But, my lord, said the artful Victoria, with an air of innocence, unwilling to proceed too far, you love me too well, I hope, to think of another while I am with you? Sweet Victoria, exclaimed Berenza, that is spoken like yourself. The Signora Megalina must now be tranquil. She must, for she will see us together, and it will be beyond her power to separate us. Yesterday I had visited at her house. She knew the color of my habit for the carnival. Her eyes, no doubt, followed me everywhere, and had she perceived my attention attracted to you, she would either have had you entrapped and conveyed out of my reach, or have followed me even into my apartment like a vengeful fury. Therefore it was I conveyed you into the palazzo by a secret way, wholly unknown even to her. But let us dismiss this unworthy subject. Once for all, Victoria, be assured it is not in the power of a Magalina to attract me from thee. I have known her, tis true. She has been the companion of my looser hours, but she was never the mistress, the beloved, acknowledged friend of Berenza. No, it is not enough for me that my mistress should be admired by men. They must envy me in their hearts the possession of her. She whom Berenza can love must tower above her sex. She must have nothing of the tittering coquette, the fastidious prude, or the affected idiot. She must abound in the graces of mind as well as of body, for I prize not the woman who can yield only to my arms a lovely insipid form, which the veriest bore in nature can enjoy in as much perfection as myself. My mistress, too, must be mine exclusively, heart and soul. Others may gaze and sigh for her, but must not dare approach. It is she, too, who, while her beauty attracts, must have dignity sufficient to repel them. 
if she forfeit for a moment her self-possession, I cast her forever from my bosom. But if, he added with increasing energy, it be within the verge of possibility that she forfeit her honor, then, oh, then, her blood alone can wash out her offense. Victoria, grasping her hand, dost thou mark me? Hast thou courage? Hast thou firmness to become the friend, the mistress of Berenza? Victoria smiled with ineffable dignity. She laid her hand upon the arm of Berenza and said, Yes, I have courage to become everything to you. Why these doubts, these stipulations, Berenza? She pursued with a serious air. But thou must love me, Victoria, me alone, said Berenza, fixing his eyes upon her countenance. And do I not, my lord, love you alone, she said? Not certainly, not enough, he replied. Thou art a stranger to the turnings and windings of thine own heart, mentally added he. Then, rising hastily, he took the hand of Victoria. Retire, he said, in a gentle voice. Retire to repose, and tomorrow we shall meet again. He led her to the door and saluted her hand. How few in character resemble Berenza! Yet in such perfection are some minds regulated, ultimately enhancing, by their forbearance, the pleasures they obtain. End of chapter 9